Hello there, everyone. Welcome to a special segment here on the Southern Tomfoolery Network. We're calling this Southern Tomfoolery Unscripted. It's a show where we will invite guests on for deep dive interviews. I'm joined by Zach Evans. You know him as Oren, and he will be my co-host for this show. How you doing, Zach? I am fantastic, Adam. Fantastic. So our guest this week is a multi-talented artist and writer at Paizo Inc., author of book two of Against the Aeon Throne, among others, semi-professional entomologist, lover of Tokyo street fashion, and all-around awesome person, Miss Eleanor Farron. Welcome. Hey! Hello! <laughs> Thanks for having me on. Yeah, thank you for agreeing to be here and let us pick your brain. Thanks so much. Long-time listener, first-time caller, huh? <laughs> <laughs> Something like that. Right. <laughs> so, uh, the first couple of questions I want to ask you, Eleanor, are just about your background and stuff like that. So, I think you've mentioned before that your background is in art. Um, you're now working as a writer for Paizo and no doubt have other creative talents as well. So, across your various disciplines, what real-world insect have you drawn the most inspiration from? Uh, probably moths. Moths. <laughs> and uh, nice, nice sort of a swerve there yeah. the last second. Yeah, I liked, like, I liked... were, like there was a deer in your headlights. <laughs> <laughs> like spun the wheel. Yeah. But yeah, I got. I've, I really like moths. They're they're basically the bunnies of the insect world. Uh, but but they're also uh, reasonably colorful if you look for the right ones. Although most people usually find you know yet another brown one that's probably in their closet. But. Uh, yeah, that's uh, that's where you see most of them. More, yeah, well, more than I think that moths are are often underrated. They, I, you know, I have seen a couple like really beautiful ones, and uh, I think you're right that a lot of people just associate them with just your closet moths. And there's some really really beautiful ones out there. That's an interesting choice. Yeah, um, I mean, obviously they have sort of a disadvantage in that they show up when it's dark and you can't see anything and everyone's asleep but <laughs> you, you can find some really good pictures for people who go out into the uh, wilderness and take pictures with the camera <laughs> would it be called moth watching is that the technical term for it is there like a i think, so. I think they call it mothing just mothing just that's mothing. way cooler yeah. that's way cooler man <laughs> yo i'm going mothing dude you want to come <laughs> sounds like a party dude i'm there okay Sorry. I feel like this is something we should have known about, like growing up being from the South. I feel like this is has South activity written all over. <laughs> you know, like yeah. So I mean, South's got all the good moths up here where it's cold. Like nothing wants to nothing wants to stick around. But you've got all like the big ones. Well, yeah. Well, the problem, Eleanor, is that we have those nice, beautiful, big moths, but because it's hot and we also have the big other insects that are horrible. <laughs> Mosquitoes. Yeah, yeah. My, my dad used to live in Texas for a little bit, and he'd claim that if you dropped a brick on the cockroaches there, they'd pick it up and fling it back at you. Uh, wow, I bet. I bet. I mean, I, there are some big cockroaches, but I don't know if they could fling a brick. But I wouldn't be super- <laughs> Everything's bigger in Texas, you know what I mean? So it's possible. I'm not ruling it out. I'm not ruling it out. Um, that's great. That's awesome. I, I just, I, I knew that you were into insects and, uh, moth, that's a great answer. Overshadowed by butterflies, but uh, undeserved in your opinion, huh? <laughs> yeah. I Fantastic. mean, there's nothing wrong with butterflies either. There's some, some pretty excellent ones. Do you try to slip moth type references into your, I know you have an NPC named Moth Kala, right? Like, uh, yeah, that was more of uh, just sort of me mashing keys because I don't like naming stuff. <laughs> <laughs> that was a happy coincidence. That well, so much of fantasy writing and 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 you know naming things is is a little bit of key mashing, right? Like what? You, alphabet soup, right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I definitely. try and I try and keep it pronounceable because I I think except everyone for, here knows except uh, uh, for the crap. Yeah, I'm gonna take yeah I'm gonna take umbrage with that because you specifically <laughs> have a creature in this book that is unpronounceable <laughs> by description. <laughs> even <laughs> even the other NPCs are like I, I this is too tongue twisty for me to even say. 
I think we got it though. I think we got it. a lot. I'm not going to try it now. Butcher it. I don't have it in front of me, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, occasionally I like to, to remind people that Starfinder is letting them off easy. You don't, you don't have to use like clicking tongues to talk to anything. You don't have to wave your arms in the proper positions while speaking or else the context totally gets lost. You don't have to see in like 567 colors to try and understand this art or the poster on the wall. Starfinder is really, you know, just just letting you off here. Yeah, yeah, it's true. It's true. Fantastic point. That's <laughs> it does yeah, use no, all no, characters no. that we're familiar with, at least, you know. Well, the the emojis was a nice um a, a nice curveball. I think I wasn't expecting that. You know, uh, communicating via emojis. But I mean, yeah, it, it's the the modern day hieroglyphics no i i agree with you and you know i have my own opinions as uh, someone with an english degree uh, i have my own opinions about emojis being the death of language but you know whatever we'll we'll move on (laughs) so when i was 16 i loved to rollerblade and then i got a job as a skating car hop at sonic and i never wanted to skate again so with that in mind, do Paizo employees still find time to play RPGs? And if so, what games, if any, are you currently in? And what character or characters are you currently playing? Uh, so we try to find time to play games. Succeeding at that is not necessarily... No, spirit is willing, flesh <laughs> and, and chronological uh, momentum. Sure. <laughs> yeah, this there week. you go. Right. Uh, but but I am playing in a uh, Pathfinder first edition game of all things. Sure. The the one least relevant to my job at this current <laughs> junction. Um, on Mondays, usually, uh, if it doesn't get canceled, because half the players are out, because we're all adults, and that's what happens. Uh, but but yeah, we're playing uh, the Adventure Path: Return of the Ruin Lords. Oh, I never nice. played. I never played Rise of the Ruin Lords, so this is sort of. I, I'm sort of not part of this returning here, as far as I know. These are the only rune lords I've heard of, but yeah, I'm playing a, a catfolk paladin in that. Okay, and, cool. Yeah, ha- uh, I've never played Pathfinder First Edition, so is path is paladin mostly the same as like a five E paladin? And it's got similarities. I never played a five E paladin. I've only gotten a chance to play five E once, and I was a ranger, so I'm not 100. percent Whoops. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Um, really showing the loyalty to Paizo, though. You know what I mean? You got to rep. Well, I mean, it's good to keep an eye on the competition, but absolutely, sure. definitely. Yeah. But yeah, I, again, with the forward momentum through fourth dimensional space, it's sure. a limiting factor. Absolutely. Okay, so just a just a, a PF one E game, but you work on Starfinder and some two E. Um, I'm actually mainly work on second edition. I'm in charge of the Lost Omens campaign setting guides. Oh wow! I don't know how I don't know how much you've been following those, but me and oh, Luis Loza. <laughs> yeah, I've yeah, been no, gobbling them up. Spams been... the spams the, our group chat with with new stuff about it all the time. Yeah, so we've. We're we're up to date. We're up to date. Yeah, me and Luis Loza and usually Mark Seifter as the designer uh, are sort of in charge of doing those books. So. Oh, that's awesome! I, um, yeah, I've really been enjoying like digging into all the lore because I mean, basically, we're getting in on Pathfinder and its lore on the two E floor. You, you know, we've listened. We listen to GCP and everything, and have you know, kind of that got us pulling into that direction and and as a result we're like okay two e's coming out that's where we're gonna like really dive in so it's nice for me to get a chance to really get to know the world you know especially as a gm and um, i'm really excited about all the different like options and possibilities and places that um the system can go just within the fantasy of it i'm really excited about that coming up yeah, I mean, uh, you're sort of the intended audience since these are the books to try and get people into the setting that maybe haven't uh, been part of Pathfinder First Edition just coming in now. So, yeah, I'm glad to hear you're excited about them. Indeed. 
Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. Okay. Um, so shifting gears real fast, I just uh, another personal question that I want to ask. In your opinion, Eleanor, why should the world pay more attention to Tokyo street fashion? <laughs> because it's awesome. <laughs> there, yeah. Okay. Fair enough. I mean, is there anything about it that that you uh, find yourself drawn to, or anything that you know you think is, makes it unique from other styles of fashion? I mean, I don't, I don't follow the fashion world that closely. Uh, I generally, it's sort of like, um, it's, it's kind of its own unique thing. I wouldn't, I mean, there's like similarities on like to, uh, Korea or China or that sort of thing. It's just got like all these influences in it that it's, it's its own like very unique on brand sort of thing that I just really like the style of. And it's hard to describe why because I I'm not a fashion person at all. I, right. I actively avoided it in high school, and then like as an artist, you start to realize you've drawn everybody that you ever illustrated with just a t-shirt and pants, and then you realize <laughs> you can't do that anymore. But uh, yeah, it's just like all these you know, cultural pre-Western influences alongside these Western influences with, like, this really futuristic cyberpunk sort of stuff that came yeah. in in the 80s and 90s, and then, like, elements picked up from these really distinct, almost, like, gothic bands from the 90s and such, and then moving forward into 2000 and 2010, it's, it's all a lot of different layers to it that, uh, like, I, due to my background, can usually recognize elements of, and so I just like to see what comes out of that big melting pot of influences. Well, there's a lot of different fashion styles there that all influence, like you said, the Eastern and the Western influences, and there's also, like, sub-genres of fashion that's that only exist in Japan. Like you could not yeah. have Western girls walking around in Lolita dresses of age. I just don't think that our culture would be receptive to that. You know what yeah, I mean? It's, maybe outside of an anime con, but otherwise. Uh. Yeah, yeah, right, right, right. 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 <laughs> well, it, it's like, it, it's almost puts it on a level, uh, you know, when you say it's at a con and that's like, it, it treats it as kind of a costume right here in the mm -hmm. western side where it's like that's just that's just like yeah. normal oh, yeah. like they just, fashion they like you know it's not a costume type situation over there right you know well well it sort of is and sort of isn't because there's definitely like places where you, you think it's more common to see it like nobody nobody everyone probably has school uniforms so you're not gonna see that at school sure but like if you're in the fashion district and that sort of harajuku right yeah, right, hard right. Yep. Um, and and especially like I remember my brother went to one of the concerts there as sort of an escort, and you know just outside of the concert there would be like lockers, and the girls would go and like get out of their school uniforms and change into these like really elegant gothic Lolita outfits, and that was just how it went. Like, <laughs> right, yeah. That, that's your evening clothes for this concert, is this extremely frilly, delicate dress. That has to be extremely expensive as well, you know. Oh, man. Yeah, when I went to the fashion district, I, I looked at some of the prices and just nope down out of there. <laughs> <laughs> like, this is cool, but it's not worth it. Uh, okay, well, I don't want to spend too much time uh, on that. I just kind of wanted to open up with a couple of questions that weren't specifically related to uh, the AP and uh, all that. But real quick, how did you end up working at Paizo? Because I believe you said that you were trying to, to start there as an artist or something like that and ended up getting hired as a writer. What was that? Not, not like at Paizo necessarily. I was okay. just trying to break into the industry, like the RPG industry as an artist. And that was that was after not getting very far as a uh, history major. <laughs> okay. And so I failed at that. And then I went on to work as an artist for a lot and didn't do so great at that either. And then uh, like some Jessica Price, who was working at Paizo at the time, put out a call for, you know, people to apply to these openings 
like especially especially women just because women usually see jobs they're qualified for and they're like i'm not qualified for that and then like apparently men are just like yeah whatever i'll sign up anyway even if they're even if they're not even qualified at all yeah, not, they, like, even if they're yeah. in high school apparently sure um and so she was calling it's like just apply to the stupid thing even if you're not qualified so i did uh, and I didn't get the job because I wasn't qualified. But um, uh, Wes Schneider, uh, who was the editor like in chief at the time, uh, he's a big Ravenloft nerd, and so am I. And Me he too. liked Us too, he yeah. liked the Ravenloft stuff that I sent in uh, as writing samples. So he suggested that you know he might take me on as a freelancer, and. That eventually happened. I had to poke him for like eight months about this. Hey, you said you might take me on as a freelancer. Uh, what about that? He's like, oh, yeah, I'll get on then. Another three months passed and brought him again. Um, but, but yeah, eventually I did get in on as a do some writing for the occult bestiary uh, was my first project for them. Just started freelancing from there. And then like uh, three years later or so, they opened up positions for another round of hiring developers and that's when i applied and got in there awesome and i guess uh, it's a pretty big uh been a pretty good fit so far i mean uh i'm a fan of your work so uh. <laughs> <laughs> um but yes yeah, so speaking of your work let's get into some book two questions we've got questions uh that both myself and some of the other you know Players in our cast uh, kind of aggregated uh, to just ask a few questions about that. And I think Adam has some specifically like GM related questions for you. So um, starting with Outpost Z, what were some of your inspirations for Outpost Z? Where did you, you know, land on that? Uh, so I just I think the outline stated just off the bat that it was like an abandoned Aslanti mining station. Right. So the first thing I do is is look up what a mining state, uh, like a mining plant looks like, because I don't know. So I just go to the Google. <laughs> yeah. And, and most of what I got was like this giant pipe filled network. And so that that's where I started going in, thinking about well, maybe all these pipes should still be there, and maybe uh, like there's a whole nother city and parts of the station that are connected with these things like going into it um because you're going into unfamiliar space here right and you're, you're trying to track down a bunch of space nazis right and going into it i wanted this place it wasn't gonna be like this jackbooted fascist nightmare like uh Galta was gonna be but at the same time i still wanted it to feel really unwelcoming and in this case, it wasn't because anybody, like, in particular had, think, like, anything particular against you. I mean, the, the Greylicks tried to murder you, but that's sure. just because you were there. Yeah. It wasn't because they had anything, like, too much against you in particular. Yeah, nothing personal. We heard you didn't like asparagus. <laughs> it's time to die. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, yeah, I, like... A lot of a lot of the whole racism stuff isn't just you know jackbooted fascist Nazis running around and kicking people. Right. It's, it's making you feel really unwelcome, and so sure. that's that's what I was thinking of going into Outpost. That is everything there. Everything there wants to make you unwelcome, and like the the first thing even that you encounter is the door, which doesn't work for you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I love I love that little bit. Right, like. Uh, you know, it, it's it's great because it's just a little tiny mechanical thing. Like you know, you know how how many different maps as a player or GM do you go on, and there's a door, and it's either locked or it's not or whatever, and you don't even think about it. It's just like okay, it's another door, and here it is. This is your entrance to it. And like what I really liked is that there's it's built in to have this moment where like other people are going through the door with no problem. Like you're watching other people just breeze <laughs> through it. And then you go up to the door and it's like, mm, nope, <laughs> nope. <laughs> yeah. I, I play tested this one section with some friends and the, 
the person like hacked in to realize what was going on. I was like, so the door is racist. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, that, that sums it up pretty much. But the thing is, I, I got the idea for that because I was watching like this, this little viral video on Vine or something. I don't know if it was Vine. Vine might have been dead at that point. But but I was watching this viral video, and it was this soap dispenser in the men's bathroom that, like, a bunch of these young black teenagers had gathered around it, and they would wave their hands under it, and it wouldn't give them any soap. <laughs> and then they waved a white paper towel under it, and it just spat <laughs> Oh, no. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> like, whoever designed that thing... Apparently, did not have any black people on their their QA team. So, I like lesson learned there: don't skimp on your motion sensors. And, wow, wow! And also, like when people say you need diversity in tech, this is the sort of thing you're talking about. <laughs> sure. That like one single black person in your company gonna say a bit of embarrassment there. Wow. But, but yeah, that's what I was thinking of when you get up to that door. Is is just. Like, nobody went out of their way and go, no humans are going to get into this station. No non-Aslanti filth is going to get in here. But they weren't thinking about you. So, And then, then the, you just wound up getting the middle finger anyway. Yeah. yeah it, well, it's kind of like that, that racism by omission of thought. Like, just not even thinking about needing to build that into the technology. Because why would... It's not somebody. It's not something that should be here or would be here. So I don't. I don't even care about somebody coming from outside. <laughs> the only humans that would be here would be Aslanti. So screw them. You know. Pretty much screw them. <laughs> yeah. I, well, I you nailed that because that was definitely the a great introduction to outpost said you know for the party and i definitely think that we i can't speak for everyone but i know that i felt um super alienated and uncomfortable and like completely fish out of water like this is you know not a space for packed world's races you know it definitely had that that vibe to it and so if that's what you're going for i think you nailed it and i guess adam nailed it, conveying that so yeah I, uh, I certainly liked seeing, you know, all the strange things being being displayed by all the GMs who are running uh, against the Aeon Throne on, on podcasts and stuff. That actually, and, and, I'm sorry, I was just going to say, like, I want you to speak more on that because that's one of my one of my questions that in this time, in this age of actual play podcast abundance, you are in this kind of unique position to be able to hear your work interpreted, played, and executed in a variety of ways. Uh, do you enjoy hearing how different groups play through the adventure, or do you find it stressful? Do you listen? I mean... Uh, yeah, I mean, there actually don't seem to be a whole lot of Against the Aeon Throne podcasts just right now. I think I think another one cropped up besides you and, and uh, Cosmic Frit. Uh, yeah. but I think No Direction is doing it. As yeah, well. I think I think they are. It's just going so slow. Um, but, <laughs> but but yeah, I I do like listening to to how other people approach that sort of thing. Like if I can find it, I don't. I'm not a huge podcast person. Um, generally, just something about it's it's because I I can't multitask so great in my brain and if I'm listening to the podcast then those are the words in my head I can't like write anything <laughs> and if I try and like listen to music or look at something else I stop paying attention to the podcast and so it just gets kind of frustrating so so uh, like this and Cosmic Crit for a while are sort of the, the main podcasts that I listen to but if there's something short like a Starfinder Society scenario, I like to pop in and see how different people reacted to that one. Uh, yeah, you also you wrote the first Starfinder Society scenario, right? Yeah. The introduction to you want to you want to plug that real fast, just hey, <laughs> you know. Go play the commencement. It's fun. <laughs> uh, there you go. Like, like that one group that I listened to. Uh, shove some tofu into a car engine to make it go faster and it worked wow okay well, I guess <laughs> you've got me that interested 20s, for sure 20s do a lot you know <laughs> so uh what was your favorite alien race or specific npc at outpost ed because you've got some some real doozies so i'm wondering like what is your who is your favorite child 
I mean, that that's a one you're cruel and to 100% the emoji squid. Oh, yeah. <laughs> right. I mean, I mean, they just sort of have an advantage by being like diminutive. They're, they're literally the size of actual like tiny little cuttlefish. But that was actually <laughs> that was actually in honor of a small little friend that I encountered at the Boston Aquarium, uh, like a little a few months before I started writing this AP, and. And I like I think that was the first alien like race that I created just because of my meeting with that squid because I I had to think about you know what are all these strange critters that you're gonna be speaking to like how what are you gonna be running into that you don't know necessarily how to deal with right off the bat because a lot of you know we have a lot of we try and make familiarity part of our game so we don't alienate the uh, players and here I am trying to do the opposite so <laughs> make it fun <laughs> but um yeah I, I encountered this little cuttlefish at the the Boston Aquarium and you know they were all a couple of them were you know just bobbing around in the tank they didn't care about us and one was like hanging out just sort of looking at us or something, kind of being a diva and showing off. <laughs> and then there was one that sort of like snuck up. Like if you if you watch them, like sometimes they'll they'll sort of like walk on the ground with two little tentacles. I don't even think they're using it to propel them forward. They just sort of like. But this one of them just like sort of walked up to the bottom of the tank, and it was changing its skin colors at us when we were watching wow that's uh, like so cool. i didn't i didn't even realize it at first i thought like you know how uh, swimming pools they the light at the bottom kind of ripples and stuff right. at first i thought that was just the light from the tank but then i realized you know it's changing colors <sighs> and so of course you know a part of me is like oh look at the cuttlefish it's looking at me yeah because i'm one of those people who gets really stupid when something cute shows up um <laughs> <You're right. laughs> but but like a part of me was just not entirely. I I almost want to say sad because you know that's how they communicate, and at the same time we don't know what they're saying. And it like occurred to me, you know, this is we we talk about well, what's it's going to be like if we ever encounter life on other planets? But you know, this thing in the little tank in front of me, it's an alien. Hey, yeah. we don't we don't know how to talk to it at all. It's sure. completely foreign to us. We can observe its behavior and all that. But at the same time, I'm never going to know what it wanted to say to me. And and that made me just, you know, a little fascinated, a little sad. And so th that was why it was the first, you know, alien that I made going into this place is, you know, you're a stranger in a strange land and you can't necessarily, even the friendliest people, you can't even talk to them well yeah eleanor i gotta say i know i know you have like a limited word count when it comes to like what you're going to put in to describe all these npcs because you got to get everything kind of in the page count right and i gotta say that emotion that you just described certainly comes through in your description of half red i mean there is a sort of sadness and just a wanting to communicate just emanating from that creature in the way that you've described her and everything like she she's not a hostile creature at all she's actually probably the friendliest creature on the station but like she has the probably the biggest barrier of communication cuz she actually has like meaningful thoughts and emotions that she wants to convey without an ability to do it at least to the PCs now i guess there are people she could communicate to on the um, on the station itself, but I, I I definitely got that and put that into her when we when we got to her in the in the book. It's no, interesting to hear that where it came from. That's sure. such a cool story. Like that's I, that's fantastic background on an NPC and inspiration for him. That's it's so cool. It's so cool. I really like. I'm I've just been thinking about that little cuttlefish and it's it trying to talk to you and there's no way for it, you to know what it was saying or for you to communicate back to it. That's awesome. And I think that, that really, yeah, Adam said came through with half red. Uh, so my favorite, my favorite NPC was bright, bright crackle flicker dim. Despite, <laughs> despite my, my professed arachnophobia, I, I thought it, so I, I have to know since I've got both of you here, Adam, were you, 
just embellishing that or Eleanor was that dialogue the way that you wrote him to speak? Uh, like I, because of the limited word counts, that there's only like two responses written in the book, but those two responses are pretty much written like that. Oh my gosh! Like it yeah, was... so she definitely laid the groundwork of how this character is supposed to talk. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah. He, he had to embellish events because he kept asking different questions because you you like hurting yourself, I guess. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That, they talk like that from the- I know. I, I, and I knew it. I knew when I was reading through the book, preparing for it before we started, I was like, this is going to be the one NPC that they're going to spend the most time talking to. I guarantee it. And this is going to be the one that I'm going to have to like speak like this. Oh, I but it was fun. It, it was so much fun. Yeah. That we, we got so many laughs out of that. It was, that was really good stuff. For sure. Yeah. yeah Fantastic. Yeah. The play testers that that I ran this by uh, also started cracking up with that that, uh, that encounter. So so that's no. definitely a bit of a hit. Yeah, but it's a I great gag. I did have like some logic behind why they spoke like that. It just <laughs> hit me. Would you please elaborate? I would love to hear this. I really, really would. That's so. When I was writing them, I was trying to think. Like, I'm trying to think of how to make these people all, like, even the ones that can communicate with you all so different that, like, it's just off-putting to people, because of what I said before. And so in this case, I was trying to think of, like, a species that didn't assume anything based on context. (laughs) And, And so, like... Like, obviously, you can't go all the way with that, because that would be literally impossible oh my gosh, by yeah. a human GM. But but I'm just, like, writing these things and thinking, is like, well, well, what is Galta? It's a moon. Uh, well, <laughs> is it in this system, or is there a Galta in another system that you're talking about? It's the moon in this system, owned by Sardat Ulovestra. Well, who, is, who, who is a Sardat because he owns a moon, which is in the Galta system. Mean, do you mean he owns this moon that we're talking about right now? Or do you mean another moon that he owns? It's no, just like, he owns this moon. Yeah, like the way I like and, broke that down was like, you always have to put the, the like adjective qualifier for every noun. Like you have to explain why that noun is in the sentence. You know what I mean? And like every time. So I sort of imagine them as being like people who who have been around a six year old who just asks why and what and yeah. who and everything and they're trying to preempt that six year old and so like they somehow like made it worse. Oh <laughs> like, my gosh! Like that. So that was my thought process going into the host. Awesome. Uh, yeah, you definitely nailed that vibe for sure. That was one that. I think came at the, at the at the perfect time to have a piece of comedic relief after feeling so lost at sea and outpost said for so long. When you finally do get this communication, um, it, it it was just a great you know like tension breaker or whatever. Like I thought it came at just the right time. Um, yeah, I got I love the NPC. So was there anything like? I don't know, an alien species or a location or event or even a, a character that you wanted to include but got left on the cutting room floor? Uh, I'm, I'm trying to remember if anything major got cut out of this one. I think in this case, uh, most of everything made made it in. Some of, that's not always true. Like I, I mentioned on an interview on the Paizo Twitch that uh, the Age of Ashes book that I recently wrote, an entire NPC wound up cut out of it. But I think everything major, like, made it in. There were some, like, really weird things that they got cut out and then put back in by by either people at Paizo or, in one particular case, Adam, like, put it back in. And I, I thought that was great because... Like you, you had mentioned that like the guard at the front desk was just sort of surreptitiously watching television yeah. and not paying attention to anyone. And I had actually written in that they were, if the alarm level wasn't high, they were just sort of like playing a video game on their phone. Oh wow, really? <laughs> and then that got, that got cut out, and then you just put it back in. <laughs> yes. Well, it was, it was meant to be. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm going to chalk that up for a win right there. Yeah. <laughs> it, it just, it, I had this perfect image of this, like, 
this guard who just didn't give a shit. You know what I mean? Like the, you're at, it's it's like this moon at the outskirts of Aslanti star space. So in my mind, it wasn't like they didn't get a whole lot of action. You know what I mean? And so he was probably just bored. It's just a a day a day in the life. You know, and uh, it was, that's that's really funny. I, I <laughs> we just I guess great minds think alike. Yeah, and like uh, before, I had even given a whole bunch of names to all of the the Zlanti there, and then I had to I I cut them out myself because I was running over on space, and then Jason Keeley, who was the developer on this adventure, put them all back in. So, well, I just want to say we're very sorry for butchering all of your Zlanti names. We. We did it on purpose, but there's nothing personal, I promise. We just want to, like, really demean the Aslanti is all, you know. <laughs> you know, throw, throw, some, throw some, like, cultural slurs back at them. Yeah. <laughs> uh, about fair play. <laughs> exactly. So, I mean, you gotta do it. You gotta do it. Uh, but speaking of Golta, was Golta originally planned to be like on a moon or a moon or did you consider other options like um surely not another free-floating space station right surely that was once you have said you don't need another one for gulta but did you have any other ideas maybe a giant ship or anything like that besides the moon Not for me because by the time i had gotten like the outline for this project it was titled escape from the prison moon oh okay you sort of you sort of have made a promise in that title and you'd better deliver yeah 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 okay so the the parameters were already set i got you okay um well i think adam has some questions concerning golta yeah um you know obviously golta is the centerpiece of book two um and there's a there's a lot going on <clears throat> with the prison and everything um and i'd like to discuss the alertness level system that is featured uh, there at the moon this set of mechanics tracks the level of awareness the guards have and also lays out their security response based on different levels of alertness. It kind of reminds me of something like Assassin's Creed. The interesting thing here is that the players are the ones who are changing this value but are not privy to the extent of the consequences of each action. Uh, so my question is, how did you come up with the numbers around this and what advice for balance do you have to GMs that would want to homebrew something similar to this in their games? I mean, I just sort of, I've picked out, like, alertness levels and then tried to, like, the consequences were what I started with first. Okay. And then, and then tried to spread it out over what I felt was a reasonable, like, um, number. Like, there's a better word for that, but I, it's escaping me at the moment. But just like, like tiers, different tiers. Yeah, try yeah. to try to spread it out so you know it's it's easy to get like in that middle zone, but then hopefully you don't like get above that. Now, I I'm not sure if I should talk about balance here because I'm not sure if anyone's actually managed to sneak through. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yet. Yeah, well, that, that was just everyone I've heard like tries it and winds up worse for trying it and then shoots their way out. But, yeah. but you know, I, I sort of attempted to try and make it so, you know, if you, as long as you didn't get into any outright like fights or which, which might have been my, my mistake on that part. As long as you don't like start shooting in the hallways, you probably shouldn't get in too much trouble. But you might, you might like ramp up the tension a little. And I yeah. think Jason even expanded like the tears because he felt like it went DefCon, you know, five a little too fast. I mean, yeah, as it's as it's printed in the book anyway, I mean, I thought it was a really fun system. You know, it it was stressful at times for you know, to try to keep up with it and make sure that everything was going the way it should. But I think it was a really cool way to add tension to the scenario and really make it feel like a prison that's under watch, you know what I mean? And that there were consequences. It wasn't, it was not, or at least it wasn't necessarily designed to be a, a dungeon where you go room to room and mash and go to the next room. Oh, yeah, you know, wasn't. I, and, and so it has this specialness to it because of the alertness system. 
Yeah, I, I don't have anything against playing dungeon crawls, but I actually really don't like writing them. Because you, you sort of have to keep... Like, you sort of have to design it that way, that everything's very self-contained in a box. And try and balance, like, it's like, well, how many encounters do I think they've gone through? And do they just leave and rest and come back and that sort of thing? When it came to Gulta, I was just... Uh, maybe I shouldn't admit to this, but I was just like, well, I'm going to make what feels like a functioning prison, and the PCs will figure it out. Uh, or they'll die. <laughs> you know, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, I think you succeeded in that, for sure, because <laughs> the, the tension was certainly high, and, and there were consequences to every action that happens in the prison, and there is not an opportunity to leave and go rest yeah, and come back. Yeah, you can't tap you know? out. Yeah, like you got to get it done in a short amount of time. I think that all those factors made for a very unique experience for us anyways is something we haven't really done before and um, created a month and a half, two months of strained <laughs> strained friendships and stressed stressed thoughts oh, <laughs> I feel well, kind of well, bad about that no no, no we're I'm, all I'm friends now it's, it's all good uh, but but <laughs> that, I'm listening to this podcast and I'm I, like I hear some people starting to get really strained I'm like oh geez I hope nobody had a bad day at work that day and I'm just <laughs> piling it on <laughs> well uh I honestly, I mean, despite it all, I think, you know, us being so determined to get through it, despite playing on the back foot, I think really brought us together to, to, um, but it, it definitely challenged me as a player, like specifically Outpost said and specifically Galta challenged me as a player in a way that I've never been challenged before. So I want to give you props on that because like you were saying, we, our group has primarily done dungeon crawly style encounters you know what i mean and you do get into a pattern with that where you like okay you know i can we can probably get two maybe three more rooms before we're going to be tapped out on resources we retreat back to the safe room that we found three or four rooms ago or whatever and it's like it is a very pattern style adventure basically and and i Outpost Zed was not that way at all, and Colta was not that way at all, and we certainly had difficulty working our way through it, but it was a good kind of challenge because I wasn't ready for it, and it forced me to like step up my game as a player, and so I think, you know, as far as that goes, that was a success. I personally uh, had an experience playing this that I haven't had playing other adventure paths or modules in 5e, so... Yeah, I'm, I'm glad, glad to hear you all like it because I I knew going like writing the thing that it was going to be challenging, especially Galta, very challenging for the GM just yes. to keep track of all that stuff, <laughs> and and challenging for the players because there's no no one holding your hand through that dungeon. You have to come up with the plan to get in and get out. Yeah. Yeah, and if and that plan collapses into shooting stuff, you have to plan how to shoot your way out then. But yeah, there's a lot <laughs> yeah. of there's a lot of like last minute decisions <laughs> that have to be made. You know, well, there's a lot of variables that you as a player don't know going into it. You can make a plan, but the plan's only as good as you know getting in the door, right? Like you can't possibly plan for their patrol routes or how many guards are going to be where or where the prisoners are going to be or what kinds of security systems are in place so like there's hardly any way to get that kind of intel i mean certainly uh bright bright has some of that and uh, and uh, talmarin has yeah. some of that but it's it's not like the kind of of, of recon that i've would want going in there, right? You know what I mean? Where yeah. I've got a map drawn out of all, map the on all the guard rules. Yeah. Yeah. And you guys, I don't think, have an operative even. You don't have no. a level of class. There was like the, such such uh, interesting makeup going into it because they basically had to give up their soldier and their technomancer, which is what they need if stuff goes sour, or they need their technomancer to kind of mess with the security stuff. Luckily they had a mechanic that could do some of that, but yeah, it was really interesting setup given the party makeup and everything like that. And 
And I just got to mirror Zach that I've never been challenged in this way as a GM. And it was a lot of fun to, to do something like that. And it makes me want to put these types of mechanics in a lot of scenarios to where there's, there's a measurable way to keep up with what's happening outside of the player's view in, in the location that they're at. I thought that was just a really cool thing. And I was really excited to run it. I was really nervous about running it. Um, but I think it came out pretty good. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, uh, a lot of it is just how much work you put into it and you definitely put in that work. (laughs) Yeah. Um, yeah. Kind of a follow-up question, I guess, to this then is, you know, when you design something like a prison break, and we talked about this a little bit, but before you heard people doing it or heard stories about people doing it, you know, how much did you consider different options versus setting up a clear path to success? In other words, what other solutions did you have in mind possibly outside the fake prisoner trick? Um, well, I mean, some of it, would depend on your party makeup like you guys actually had the most normal party i think i've seen going into galta (laughs) like air quotes around normal but like a lot of for a lot of people this is their second ap they played dead sons first and so they want to go hog wild with the alien species and so you have like a giant centipede with like a flaming plasma spear and an uplifted bear and like one of those weird starfish people it's like kind of squishing around and you're not gonna infiltrate very well (laughs) yeah 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 we had the most humanoid looking right like yeah um, like if you if you shop around like, I think even you even picked up, like, that holographic projector, and, and Mike had that hat of disguise that he didn't... Never he didn't even disguise used. Himself. Never used. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, but there were options like that to try and cloak, you know, a lot of your, your not-so-human-looking persons. And, and if you get enough of them looking like that you can just sort of claim that you're oh yeah this is our our slave crew member or just we're just you know hauling them around you don't need to do the fake prisoner gambit um there's also like if you go out the airlocks there are ways to like blow up the generators and just shut down the power which might be worse for you because they all have dark vision but at the same time like they're all focused on getting that power back in so that's a major distraction I don't. Uh, I didn't even think about anything like sabotaging their <laughs> infrastructure. Like, no, we we hundred percent committed to the Wookie to prisoner. You know, I, I, like that was. And wow. Like, I think you did try some of like the using the charm gems on the Enslanti except yeah. they kept making their damn saves. But but if you can, like, I've seen people say that they got it off. It's just like you know, double charming the the person's like, "Where's all the cargo? You don't need to see the cargo. We can go about our business." <laughs> Yeah, I, I wish I would have. I just didn't trust the roles, you know? I just didn't trust... I didn't want to, like, be conspicuous if I failed the role. And I ended up, you know, obviously being conspicuous failing the role, but <laughs> that's what I didn't yeah, want to do. I mean, there's a real risk with that, that sort of yeah. thing, but... Yeah, just... Or, or just, like, having an operative or somebody with invisibility just, like, sneaking around in and out of the airlocks, going through the rooms and that... If it's low, like if if they're not that alert, they're they're pretty bored and not paying all that much attention to you. And there's some other distractions in there. I don't know how you handle like if you just left that Akeshti there. Oh yeah, you got you haven't that, got to that, that part. That, that yeah, poor sad Akeshti. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, because you haven't you haven't given me the episode. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what happened with that. So I don't know what what happened there, but that that's some potential. Uh, you can potentially do something there. Yeah. Um, like if yeah. you had managed to sneak into various rooms, I think Half Red warned you about the sonic debilitators in the ceiling. Not that it helped you in your situation. <laughs> Not at all. Not at all. Not at all. <laughs> I hated those things so much. <laughs> I really I did. I just listened to that episode where you're just like, you probably would have just done better shooting the the, the warden, but you just yeah. got to blow the heck out of him. I know, like, I, yeah, he was so I, focused I, on like taking out this this 
debilitator. Yeah, that, that might have been the only real moment in, in the in the AP where I, I might have shaken my fist at the sky. Eleanor, <laughs> damn it! <laughs> Everything else is fine, but this. Why? Like I, I'm gonna say that the amount of time I put into that warden in general was not worth the grief she gave you. <laughs> 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 oh, I see you're trying to put this back on me, Eleanor. I see how it is. No, no, I just, I just, I guess I'm just saying that apparently envoy improvisations are are good or at least real annoying. Because <laughs> well, I, it's just like, oh, I'll pick out, watch out, that seems good. <laughs> <laughs> well, the one that got me was antagonized, which just seeing that on her stat block gave me a, a such a. A vision of who she was as a person like this is she has watch out and antagonize like those are the choices that she made as a warden you know what i mean like <laughs> that's such <laughs> an unnecessary choice as a warden you know like it's just mean and so like i i had it in my mind that she was definitely just a terrible hateful person you know I mean, she's only the warden of, like, the literal guest top. <laughs> right. Yeah. With, you know, with that actually brings me to a question that I've, that I've really wanted to ask about. Um, that I've just sort of noticed running uh, book one and book two. That despite being such unabashed fascists, the Islanti are surprisingly feminist. With women uh, holding many positions of power, like the captain or the commander of the ancient Aslanti ship carrying the rune drive, Lieutenant Sharu herself, and the warden on Galta. So, considering how often fascism and patriarchy go hand in hand, was there any kind of conscious decision to portray the Aslanti as feminists or at the least uh, egalitarians? I mean... I guess you could call it like a conscious non-decision. Like we we recognize that they did not have this this patriarchal like sexism that usually goes along with fascism. Right. But it wasn't really like us going, well, there's a you know some kind of deep-seated reason behind that. It was just more like we we noticed it's not there, but we didn't want to put it in. Like yeah. they were, they were already sucked enough. Yeah. <laughs> oh, sure, sure, sure. No. And, but and the, you know, they're they're equal opportunity sucking. Yeah, they're equal opportunity fascists, it, and that's like something that I noticed. I was like, wow, it it just seems so out of place. But I kind of, I kind of get it. You know what I mean? It's like, hey, as long as you're as Lanti, it's all good. You know what I mean? That they they don't have that patriarchal sort of sexism. I guess they're they're technically more reasonable than a lot of fascists that we have. Yeah, but they're still fascists. You know, <laughs> you know, they're, they're still getting yeah, the ass kicking. At least not sexist fascists. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they, got, yeah. they got that going for them. That should be their new motto as Lanty. At least we're not sexist. <laughs> God. I mean, we, we could be worse. We could be devils. That's true. That's <laughs> those, true. Those are <laughs> <laughs> well, that was, you know, um, something that I thought w- was really interesting and a, a, you know, a neat take on it is that you did have some pretty badass, hard ass fascist women that gave us a lot of trouble. You know what I mean? They certainly didn't, uh, you know give us any freebies like we had a tough time uh i think with both, with both bosses, yeah yeah with both sharu and um and uh whatever her name is i don't I, yeah will you say it for <laughs> i i don't even remember it off the top of my head uh, i'm Ilis, trying to remember that Ilis was Strilla? my fault or, or jason's uh, something fault. Like yeah, that, yeah but 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 io lustria or something like that yeah ariel Skrillex. ariel is, uh, <laughs> our affectionate name for her so i remember yeah. that I remember that. I, I can think of a few other nicknames he gave her. There was some. There was some salty language getting thrown. <laughs> <laughs> definitely was. <laughs> I think. I think the party was more personally insulted by her than any other boss that we've uh, faced. You know, it like, it was personal. There isn't technically a rating between R and NC seventeen, but I feel like your podcast sort of like nudged itself up a bit for those two episodes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, I'm sorry for that. You know, uh, we have never advertised ourselves as a kid friendly show, <laughs> or 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 just you know safe for life. We've uh, never. 
listen at your own risk is how we feel. Right, right. So. Their um, emotions will be high. Language will fly. That's for yeah, sure. Yeah, and it, well, you especially have to watch Heath at times. I think Heath is, uh, you know, he ha- he has a colorful vocabulary. Yes. Uh, I, I love you, Heath, if you're listening, but yeah. Well, he um, also has a, a intense emotional <laughs> reactions <laughs> to things. Too, yes. So. yes, especially the things that he doesn't like, <laughs> yeah. you know. Uh, so, sorry about it. Mike's a hard guy. Um, well, I don't want to take too much of your time, Eleanor. Our... Are you involved in any, uh, I think you've actually mentioned a couple of them, but what other uh, APs or anything else are you uh, currently involved in or going to be involved in soon that you can uh, tell us about? Um, so the one that I can tell you about is uh, Age of Ashes for Pathfinder 2nd Edition. It's the first adventure path for that system. Um, it came out around the same time as the module, which is called Plaguestone, so... I think mm-hmm. people have been sort of varying which one they decide they want to hop into first. But yeah, I did the second book for that. Okay. Cool. Cool. And um, so for the stuff that you can't tell us about, can you tell us if it's going to be good? <laughs> uh, hopefully. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, okay. I don't want to jinx <laughs> Sure, 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 sure. Well, honestly, you know, we have really enjoyed... Um, your your both your art and your uh and your literary works and look forward to more of them in the future and your insight for that matter it's uh thank you so much for agreeing to uh to do this interview with us we yeah. we certainly really appreciate it it's been great uh, picking your brain yeah again thanks for having me like you know how it's everybody's doing just flap on about their character and usually when you corner somebody they all sort of groan and, and wish for death, but but yeah, it's good to hang out with people who actually, you know, enjoy talking about it. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah, Adam and I, you know, I, I've GM'd some games, so I'm, I'm also interested in that uh, aspect of the game, and, and I just really like talking about RPGs and game yeah. systems, too. <laughs> well, and I, so, we really did enjoy this book a lot. I mean, it, it, it was... It was tough, but man, it really just created something special for all of us that I don't think any of us will ever forget. And so thank you for that. And then thank you for for all this great insight on it. We really appreciate having you on this new show, being our first guest on our new show. So, <laughs> Yeah, I'm, um, I mean, I'm just really enjoying the your show, uh, following along, getting to see people react to what i wrote i mean it's not as as not not as common as you think it's really not that's like i know we discussed it earlier but it's such a that's got to be a really cool perspective to to get to do that you know um actually hear it played out it's kind of like i guess if you're a playwright watching uh or, or you know the different interpretations of your play or something like that i gotta imagine that that's the closest the different, the different personalities, different perspectives, different characters going into it. Yeah, that's that is unique to to I think an RPG, right? To 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 see the player input into what you've already set up. Okay, all right, we're gonna go too long. We gotta call this. <laughs> we gotta call this. Thanks so much. Uh, come back sometime, Eleanor. You know, we'll we'll we'll, we'll talk again. So yeah, okay, yeah, I, I actually haven't uh, read the third book yet so so i'm going in as fine as you guys are. oh excellent. Oh, well you're gonna be learning it with us then for sure <laughs> yeah i mean i it was one of those things where it's like i i had to go and read that book sometime and then i what you guys do in the podcast i figured hey i'll i'll just go and go into it blind like you guys do oh absolutely well we hope to delight and entertain going into <laughs> book three adam don't fuck it up okay <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, with that note, uh, again, thank you so much, Eleanor. Everyone listening, thanks so much for listening. Y'all uh, have a great evening. Be good to each other. We'll see you. Can we all do a we'll see ya? Eleanor, you want to join us? All right. Yeah. All right. One, two, three. We'll, we'll see, see ya. ya. <laughs>